Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we have an incredible interview in store for you. You're absolutely going to love it. I got geek chills multiple times throughout, and you are too. We have the founder of Open Source Ecology, a company that is using open source to change industrial machines as we know it, change the world potentially as we know it. In our gaming section, we're going to discuss Valve's favorite Left 4 Dead gets some new add-ons. And of course, we have our popular tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode number 194. You are tuned into the number one video-centric Linux podcast on the entire planet. Destination Linux is your source for great discussions on Linux and open source. My name is Ryan, and with me today are the pop culture equivalents of the Konami code. I love that. Michael yes. and Noah. Love it. Let's find out what everyone's been up to this week. Michael, what have you been up to? I have been doing stuff, uh, all kinds of stuff this week, but one thing I just really want to talk about is the new Destination Linux Network website. I I finished making it. I launched it this week, and I'm it's so excited. Purdy. It, it's amazing. Thank you very much. I am so excited for people to check it out. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It is it is so it's it's just so much better in my opinion. I know I made it, and it's kind of weird to say that, but I think it does have a lot of. Well, you just made it a lot stuff. more navigable. Yeah, I think and I made it, I added some out. more features and stuff too. There's if you if you had it if it was harder to like previously it was harder to find out how to subscribe to different shows. I've made that super easy. I made sections of like I even added a page for Odyssey. So if you haven't heard about Odyssey. It's an alternative. It's like a alternative to YouTube, and it's basically made by the library team. And I made a page for that, so you can get all the links. All of that stuff is organized. I even made it like special effects. So there's a particle effect in the homepage at the top that is responsive to your mouse and your finger on a touch Look screen. Look at you, Steven Spielberg. Right. So when you hover over it, it like it, the particles grab to your mouse, like it's like uh, it just attaches to it. And then if nice. you click, it adds more particles. And then the same thing on the touch screen. If you touch it, it'll add more particles. And it, anyway, it's just cool. Check it out. That was just a special thing I wanted to add. And I think it's fun. Uh, I think that's amazing. And definitely head out there to the website so you can check it out and subscribe to all of the Destination Linux Network shows out there. Noah, what have you been up to this week, man? It has been a crazy busy week. I've been having lots of fun uh, working and 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 just serving people well, and it's been great. So uh, last week I we talked a little bit about um, we started doing testing of the Pi Four, and um, and so that has continued. I've now moved them into putting them into my house, and so I'm upgrading a lot of the components that I've talked about, Volumio and Home Assistant, and all those transitioning from whatever version they're on to the Pi Four. This will be kind of the last stage before we actually roll them out at Alta Speed. But I, I've never installed anything for a client that I haven't used in my own house, so I'm kind of excited that like I come home and tell my wife, I'm like, "Hey, this is a totally le legitimate thing, but we have to upgrade the technology in our whole house." She's like, "We do," and I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> He's like, we do." It's, oh. it's for business. We do. <laughs> You're sure that's necessary? I'm like, 100% necessary. It has to be tested. Only way to do it in production right here at the house. All technology has to be upgraded. So we're upgrading. Now we so understand why you have that role. You, you, only, <laughs> you only install it. You know. So Ryan, what is happening with you this week? Well, there's been a lot of cool things I've been playing with, but probably the one most interesting to Noah would be that Fedora 33 beta I've been playing with in my home and having a good time with now have you checked out fedora 33 beta yet it's in beta so yes. you, okay. again 
I every version since Fedora Core One. Well, I didn't know from beta if you had yes. checked out the beta. Yes. Okay, the alpha. Yeah, when when a ver- version of Fedora rolls out, it is on a machine at my house, and it's on the same machine, and it's on that is that's like my trusted. That's it's like my fortress. I go to that machine, and I I, I can trust that Fedora will be there. So what are your thoughts on some of the new features that were added in? For instance, we talked about on Destination Linux, very specifically the need to have a welcome kind of guide or tour when you first launch a operating system, especially when the desktop environment is very different. And they incorporated that. I thought it was fantastic. Did you did you notice what they did with it? Yeah, I did. I mean, so I have my own script that I run uh, when I when I uh, when I get into Fedora. So I, I've, I've I don't. I've kind of got my own workflow down, but I'm glad that it's going to be more uh, inviting to 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 new users. I I did appreciate the uh, the Anaconda default ButterFS. Oh really? <laughs> nice. You like the ButterFS, huh? I, well, here's the thing. I like the fact that I have the opportunity to, to try this in, in 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 real production hardware and actually see how it works in a, in you know for myself. It's it's great to have these things available, but I think where the rubber hits the road is when they start to include them as options for users to check, right? Because now we're actually going to see how this rolls out and we'll, we'll see that we kind of follow that process. It'll roll out with Fedora, they will scale that to you know the centoses and the red hats of the world and eventually what will happen is those kinds of things will start to we'll see those roll out on, a, on, a, on Ubuntu and and so we it's kind of a staged approach we see how it works in the Fedora community if it works well it progresses to the next stage so on and so forth until that becomes the default and the question will be is it going to be OpenZFS or will it be ButterFS well one or of will the things fight like snap and flatback I'm I'm very <laughs> impressed with it I thought everything worked very well it did not feel like beta software to me at, at any time although they do warn and I will tell people if you're interested I mean, keep in mind it is beta so there could be yeah, issues and it's bugs don't 33 versions you know I mean, yeah, yeah. It's the beta version of the 33rd time they've done this. But the yeah. thing I couldn't help but think of, Noah, is me and you have had very passionate conversations about kind of where Linux is going as a whole from an open source focus to now we have a lot of kind of proprietary companies wanting to come in and bring their software. And what's the balance there? We've had all this conversation around this. And I couldn't help but notice in Fedora that you know, you go to certain websites like Twitch or things that have certain video players, those media codecs aren't there. There's a lot of, and, and trying to find the answer to fix them, even through some basic searching of a new user would come across, it would be completely elusive to them to fix it. You know, enable RPM fusion is, a, is easy, but then you've got to go find where those media codecs and things are. Uh, Ubuntu's obviously found a way to get around this. It just struck me as interesting because we talk about you, you want that focus and that base on open source, and that's what Fedora gives you. But there's a cost to that in some ways, right? Because some of the basic things on the web and that people would be used to utilizing right out of the box in a new computer isn't there without some research. Not as a huge pain point, you know, but I just found it as an interesting contrast. Respectfully, I really think the right way to approach this is 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 what Ubuntu Mate has done with the software boutique, right? Give me a a privacy focused open source based license free desktop that's what i want to be delivered but out of the box and but then give me one thing that i can click on and say okay i'm a new user and i want spotify and i want google chrome and i want and then list all of those all of the things that we may or may not agree with allow people to make that decision that's what i'm in favor of I like it. Well, we're going to get a lot more into Fedora 33 next week with a very awesome interview. So we'll touch on it then. Absolutely. 
This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. DigitalOcean runs their App Platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this new App Platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure your setup. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, actually better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, get started with that $100 free credit by going to do.co slash DLN on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So in the community feedback this week, Matt Rice is to say, Dear Stool Warriors, a few years ago, my family was given an EERO three-pack set. Uh, They work fine and have been largely problem-free, but I'm now at at the point where I'd like to upgrade to something that has more power and doesn't leave me thinking at night that the data that they're collecting uh, about me and my family. So do you have any suggestions for this as a replacement to the EERO? I'd like something that works well in like in a typical 1,400 square foot ha- townhouse, three stories, can set up at least three VLANs, is easily updated, auto updates, and I can manage from my phone. Running Ethernet through the house is out of the question right now, sadly, so a mesh network would work best. Does anything like this exist in the open source community? I've used Ubiquity at work in the past, but running a local host to control the WAPs or WAPS is also not viable for my family right now. I'd appreciate any advice here, Matt and PS. I'm so thankful for Snap's flat packs and app image. We're spoiled for choice when compared to four years ago. Totally agree with nice. that. So uh, Noah and Ryan, do, are there any suggestions? Look, you this have is for all this? Noah. I think Noah even covered this on Ask Noah this week. Something similar. So go for it, Noah. I, I, I'm a big fan of Unify and uh, we'll start there because I think it's the best solution most of the time. Um, it's going to give you, it's going to deliver everything you want uh, from a network perspective. As far as running the host, you don't have to run the controller uh, on, on a host if you don't want to. There's a couple different ways you can do that. Uh, the first thing you could do is you could re- you could go to do.co slash DLN, spin yourself up a DigitalOcean droplet, and uh, and you could install the Unify software on there, run it there. Other thing you could do is buy, Unify has a device called the Unify Cloud Key. It's an $89 little ARM-based device, powers over Ethernet or plugs into a USB port, and that will run the controller software. So that's another way to go. So if you look at that, you could say, if, if I told you that you had an access point and it could do everything you want it to do and it had a built-in controller, but it was $100 more, $80 more, you'd buy that. I would suggest just buying those two separate things. Third thing you could do is run it just in a VM on 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 your on your machine. If you said to me, under no circumstances do I want a second controller, it's maybe it has something else to do with the just you don't want to go that route. Um, the 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 next thing I would look into is things like Open WRT, and I would also look into things like OpenSense and PFSense. Here's why: a lot of the networking functionality that that 
that you get with Unify is present in Linux. It's just not necessarily exposed with a nice UI. With Unify, you're just going to plug that cloud controller in. You're going to type in the map or just they're actually going to pop up and just click on adopt and then give it the SSID and away you go. Um, you can do a lot of that stuff with OpenWRT. You can do a lot of those things with OpenSense and PFSense. It's just going to require you to, to do them by hand. And there is central management software for both PFSense. I think there's central management software for OpenSense and there's definitely ways to do mesh networking and such with um, with things like OpenWRT. In fact, they were using OpenWRT to power the Southern California Linux cycle. Well, that's how they were doing uh, their Wi-Fi. Then where Unify is going to, to, to be an advantage, particularly if you want to do wireless links, which is what you're talking about doing, is the first thing to understand about mesh networking is it's a very inefficient way to net, to mesh to, to do networking because all the traffic of the, you know, this device here is, is what's connected to your router and this device has a wireless uplink for here. The third device in the row has to this guy has to send all his traffic here this guy has to send all of his traffic plus this guy's traffic to here and it just gets more inefficient as you go down the road if you understand that and you still want to go down that route again where unify makes that a little bit easier for you is you'll adopt all the access points and then you'll just click on one of them and say i want you to connect with a wireless uplink and it'll say okay which other access point and they, a couple other requirements they have to be like the same channel and such but uh you click on it say i want it to be that access point and this access point and then you can just unplug the cable and as long as it's powered this access point will wirelessly communicate with this one and you can have you can expand that as far as you want so th th that's the easy way to do it if you want to go in and say well i don't mind messing with uh with network configuration scripts and stuff like that and getting things to talk and setting up ip tables and all that if you don't mind doing that there's certainly ways to do it uh with completely free and open source software it just takes a little bit of, of uh, putzing around we love hearing from our worldwide community we have many ways for your voices to be heard you can send us a short email or video and it may just get incorporated into the show if Michael likes it, send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. Well, it's really if I like it. So, yeah, I read them too. Yeah, yeah you pick too. it. You pick it. Mike, Michael just uh, gets all the credit. I've vetoed it. sometimes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he does veto. You've actually never vetoed. I've never ever. vetoed once. You know, I was like, hey, we should use this. Like, yeah, we should. That's for the sure. point. If, if we did give him that power, he would. We just don't let him. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that. I don't have that power. I haven't tried yeah. to see if I even had that power, but maybe. <laughs> Life goals. So we have a very special interview in place for you, and we would like to welcome Marcin Yakubowski to the show. Marcin is the founder of Open Source Ecology. He was recognized on the Enrich list, has been called an innovation stuntman. By the way, you get some of the coolest names here. Disruptive hero and gained distinctions of the 2012 TED Senior Fellow, 2013 Shuttleworth Foundation Fellow, and 2013 White House Champion of Change. In addition, as if that's not enough, the Global Village construction set, which we will get into during this interview, was also recognized in Time Magazine's Best Inventions of 2012. Marchin, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So most of our community is familiar with terms surrounding open source software and hardware. That's what we talk about each and every week. But open source ecology may be something new, a new term that the listeners haven't heard before. Can you explain the idea behind open source ecology? Yeah, so ecology, um, that's a word that refers to the integration of both the human and natural ecosystems and political systems. And basically... In I guess in computer speak, that's, that means an operating system for the way the planet works 
but based largely on collaborative open source process. When you are thinking of kind of the open source methodology behind ecology, what are some of the things that impacts in somebody's life if they were to personalize that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's literally about, so the operating system for Earth, it's, it's literally how do we survive? How do we make a prosperous life in terms of the t- technosphere, education, politics, everything that exists in, in humanity? There's a, there's a huge, you can say one aspect of, of society that we still haven't solved yet is how do you create an economy that takes care of everybody? Right. And that's where the notions of collaboration and open source come in, where you you talk about distributed access. So we talk about converting a lot of our work revolves at this phase around the conversion of abundant natural resources into the life stuff of modern civilization. And that's that's the essence of the Global Village construction set. We started with uh, 50 different industrial machines that essentially can create a modern civilization with with modern comforts. And in, in, in some ways, and forgive my geeky reference here, but in Star Trek, right, where they have a replicator that creates yeah. food and they kind of they've solved this idea where everybody can at least have the basic functions of society, of food, shelter. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what you're you're looking at utilizing open source ecology to affect is that world that we've dreamed of in Utopia with Star Trek of hey, can we feed everybody? Can we support and provide shelter for everybody and those type of things? Absolutely. That's that's the essence because we have this amazing advanced technology, but still the promise, I think the true promise of technology, which is self-determination, freedom, prosperity for everybody, that's still eluding us. And that's the that's the answer we're seeking. I love yeah. it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. Uh, and also, let's just kind of go back a little bit, a little ways, because I'm curious about, mm-hmm. like, prior to founding the Open Source Ecology in 2003, yeah. what was your experience with open source technologies like Linux back then? And, you know, yeah. what was your experience just overall in the open source world before you yeah. started doing that? So about the year 2000 or so, I was first introduced. This was in grad school. So I was studying fusion energy and somebody showed me Linux. Hey, so, so we were all using Macs, right? We're in our offices and cubicles. And then this one guy says, hey, I've got this open source operating system. Like what? That you can just download and use for free. You can modify it. And when he showed me that, I was like, wow, that is super cool. Like I thought everybody had to buy those Macs and buy the expensive software. You're pretty much stuck with what exists. So when I got introduced to that, the big lesson there was it's like, wow, there are different options. And this concept of technological determinism uh, came into my mind, meaning that there is not one way you can do things. There's always so many options, but but you're just not exposed to most of them. So that was my first intro to Linux. Uh, knew nothing about it, but uh, in terms of the the open source aspects, the thing that really made me think about and really connect to the open source world of collaboration, essentially, was the idea that in in my own research, I was not able to talk openly about what I was doing to other groups. Interesting, because, right? This yeah. is in academia, right? And you'd think that that would be really open. And I started thinking, well, if, if we can't even talk openly about our work in, in academia, how must it be in the rest of the world? And that's when I started diving into some of these issues. Wow. That is very, very interesting, especially with like the the educational aspects of like, that's the place you would expect people want to learn more and just share the information. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But think about yeah. how many of the colleges and universities now own patents on so many things oh, yeah. out there. Like, you know, so it makes sense. 
Yeah, and it's it's like if you start studying it and and looking at it, you just see an amazing opportunity because then you simply question, well, what would it look like if we actually collaborated, cooperated? And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to start an organization that does tries to do exactly that and see if we can get different results than what we have today in the world. Wow. Yeah. So, awesome. so you 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 come here to the U.S. from Poland as a child. You graduate with honors from Princeton University, where you earn your PhD in fusion physics from the University of Wisconsin, and then you start a farm in Missouri. Help me with yeah. this. Tell me the story. How did you go yeah. from Princeton to farming? Yeah, that's um, so. Basically, the farther I went in a PhD program, the more useless I felt. I mean, I was would go to these theoretical seminars and people writing equations that s- stretch across the the board. And one time I remember I went to a professor and asked him, hey, what? we were studying like some wave propagation in space as part of fusion. I said, hey, what is this thing? Like, uh, where do I find this? this is, I was confused about some equation that he wrote on the board. And he was like, well, it actually doesn't exist. I made it up. So, okay. So now we're studying wow. these things that don't even exist. There's real problems on the planet. And it's like, that's just a complete disconnect. So about the first or second, probably like after the first year, second year of the grad school program, I was getting super alienated from what I was doing, uh, going to the theoretical seminars and and definitely not thinking that, oh, wow, I'm getting closer and closer to uh, solving pressing world issues. Now, I was studying fusion energy where the, the running joke is it's it's going to be 10 years in the future. It always was and it always will be. So <laughs> that's that's there was hope there. But when I looked into more into it, that hope kind of faded away. I actually started doing outreach to people, to like talking, uh, giving public presentations about the work I was doing. And then people started asking, well, what about like things like radioactivity or issues? Uh, is this really going to work? And when I started to question it, well, fusion is also going to have the radioactivity issues. It's not going to be as bad as fission, which is nu- nukes of today, but there are some serious unsolved issues there too. So I, I started thinking back, okay, let's go back to like renewable energy, like solar, which is fusion, but it's 93 million miles away from us. So that's maybe we should trap that because there's 10,000 times more power that comes from the sun that we can use than we use today. So all of that made me say, okay, we got to quit this nonsense of, of this technological craziness and and theory when, when such pressing issues of, of the war, the deprivation, all of that, the, the the standard pressing world issues of today. They're there and we're in our academia or in our pro- higher education programs. We're, we're just removing ourselves farther from co- from uh, solving them. And in fact, we just continue to cause more problems. So, so I said, okay, I got to get out of this. And the first thing when you think about such a civilization reboot experiment is you got to say, okay, I got to get me some land. So did exactly that. Went to uh, outside of Madison, Wisconsin, got uh, farmed on a, a few acres there and then moved to Missouri, got our land here on 30 acres. Yeah. I, I just, I'm so inspired by your story, not because of just the fact that every time you think about people, you, you read the stories about people who really do change the world. They all follow a similar path to yours. They go to school, generally a very fancy Ivy league school. Mm-hmm. And then they go, you know what, this is not, um, I don't think I'm going to make the impact that I want here. Um, now, a lot of people go through that school and they say, cha-ching, I put that on my resume. I'm going to get this big, nice position in an executive office and a corporate. I'm going to make tons of money. But people like you who step out of their own shell and are like, mm-hmm. hey, I want to do something different, absolutely fascinate and inspire me. I, I want to ask you, what are the issues that you were seeing or experienced yourself when you got that farm in Missouri 
that started to kind of trigger in your mind, I need to do something different. I need to found OSE. Yeah, that started. Uh, let's go back to the the PhD school there, uh, because at about that second year, I actually started to take a so-called lifestyle engineering class, which was about yoga, meditation, breathing, and Indian cooking and stuff like that. So I was pretty much put on a different wavelength. But when I started to kind of really think, I would say like for myself and introspecting and meditating on a lot of different things, uh, pretty much tuned out of the existing system. And started to study all like the renewable energy, sustainability literature, and almost got kicked out of the program because I was doing too much of that. <laughs> and then, so it was obvious. And, th and then the first thing that, that happened when I got onto the land was I, I read all the books. It was, you know, just gobbled it all up. Schumacher, Gandhi, like all the sustainability, renewable energy, uh, you name it, reading a lot of that green history of the world, Small is Beautiful. Those are some seminal books. Gandhi's autobiography, I would say. Malcolm X, like uh, stuff, various, various things. But the first thing I <laughs> that blew me away is I thought I had the theory down. And when I got got hit with the real world of, of agriculture and a farm, I found I had absolutely no skill, no practical experience. The weeds grow and take away your food. The tractor breaks down and you can't fix it. Absolutely Unprepared, like the tools and skills that I needed, as I say in my TED talk, to make a, a settlement. Just I didn't have them, and and I was not taught them. And even if you do read that in uh, all the books, it's much much different when you actually hit it on the ground. Yeah, the the the, the plants don't just grow. The land doesn't till itself. It's a major yeah. undertaking, and there's lots of equipment and machines and everything else to go along with it. And I yeah. highly recommend after this interview. People go look at that TED talk because I was captivated from the start oh, yeah. to the end on, on the whole thing. So definitely go check that out. Yeah. And there's yeah. there's so much interesting stuff about that. And and also there's some stuff that and I kind of want to jump a little bit ahead for the OSE stuff because it's just super interesting stuff that you guys are doing with the, the global village construction set is just so cool. So your website states that the OSE is currently developing a set of open source blueprints for the global village construction set, a set of 50 mm -hmm. of the 50 most important machines that takes the modern mm -hmm. life to exist. You've made it through the, about a third of these so far. Tell us about mm -hmm. all of these machines that you've been working on and you've been able to open source and build out these blueprints. What are some of like the breakthroughs that you have yeah. in this like mission so far from these? Yeah. So at, when we got out to the land, some of the first needs you have is housing and maybe some agriculture. So the first machine that we actually built was the brick press because the first need was okay you got to get house yourself we lived in a natural house actually so we built a cordwood and earth back hut which was a lot of labor and i wow. said oh man this is this is gru gruesome let's make it easier for people so uh developed the brick press with which we started to build our housing and then built the first prototype of the tractor and moved on from there, uh, built other machines like power units, then getting into some digital fabrication like a CNC torch table to cut parts for the tractors and other things. But okay, so let's talk about some of the initial learnings. The learnings are actually extremely positive. Like, uh, for example, with the first brick press, we were like, okay, this machine can, you know, you see the industrial machines out there, they can spit out a bunch of bricks from the soil that's under your feet and make a solid industrial and natural building product right so okay so i said let's 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 do that that can't be too hard and so did it you know, i was looking for like three bricks per minute and 
the result was we could do a machine that did like 10 bricks a minute, no problem. Because oh. things like engines, hydraulics have been invented. This is all known, known technology. And when you tap it, you see that you have immense power. Then you look at the tractor. It was like, wow, can I do that? Well, you break it down into parts and say, what is it? Well, it's a, it's a box with wheels and a drive system. Use the same type of a hydraulic system to, to power it. And you find that, wow, these things are amazing. They work. Technology actually does work. And it's not this mystical thing that only the engineers can do. It's something that if you have a need, like, well, we, we had it by the seat of our pants. We, we, we really had pressing needs like, okay, yeah. let's survive on this piece of land. Definitely were motivated to do it, but found that, hey, it's, you know, when you break it down into parts, it's not that difficult, but then ran into that issue of, well, you just can't get any meaningful plans or, or designs from the internet because that didn't exist. Any kind of a thing that's really good, it's always proprietary. Then you might have some prior art to build on from some DIY projects, but typically that's not in a good shape. So definitely noticed very quickly that any kind of a good design is super hard to find. And that's kind of what motivated uh, me to say, okay, if I'm going to solve this problem for myself. I want to solve that for everybody and make it open source, make it high quality blueprints that anyone can uh, download. Essentially, you can download this this kit that you can fit in a, like a whole shipping container and basically amazing. start start any infrastructure anywhere yeah. in the world. That is amazing. Tell me a little bit about what your challenges are in doing this. Trying yeah. to bring this information to people is a noble goal, but as yeah. you've as you yourself have articulated, yeah. you know, this is you're fighting with businesses. So how, how is that going? Yeah. So actually, um, the the biggest thing is about just like in, in the history of Linux, like Linux, Linus was smart, I, I, you know, just studying like how that happened, that they got traction pretty quick and companies started to support it. Basically, about a year from Linux's Linus's publishing of that famous email uh, to the community where he announced he had this <laughs> little kernel that he released, he had a minimum viable product after about a year. So point there being you have to get to the point of economic traction as soon as possible. We haven't done that, focused on that so much, first of all, because it's much harder. And essentially through the last decade, we've done tons of prototyping and, and now have some product releases. But the biggest challenge is to get people to, I would say to get people to show up and continue that development because it is super hard. It's like a thousand times harder than, than, than software. Uh, as far as business models, it's plain good old efficiency. Uh, it's about having good product design with enough eyeballs. Any bug is shallow. The products should, in principle, get better and exceed industry standards. So we work on things that meet or exceed industry standards. We know absolutely clearly that Linux, OBS, Blender, now close to FreeCAD. I mean... These things are going to become or are already the industry standards that everyone's going to adopt to because when you don't collaborate, you simply cannot compete. So we know yeah. that as an absolute truth in software in 20% of the world. Now we got to bring the next 80%, the world of hardware, to that same level. But the biggest challenge right now is what, what I call collaborative literacy, the simple notion in people's minds that this is even possible because we have had 200 years of industrial inertia since the industrial revolution where everything is saying that 
everything has to be proprietary. It has to be patented. And people do not look out of the box for a business model. Just like you, you ask asking the question, how do you make money? Well, it's very simple. You make products. The, the, the only difference is development methodology, which has proven to be superior. So it's about getting the products out there. Uh, we also innovate a little bit on the, the revenue models. Like so far, we, we do things like what we call the extreme manufacturing workshops, where in a workshop, we combine education and production in one. So we actually teach people. So say we, we host a workshop to build a tractor. We build that. A bunch of people show up. They pay for immersion education where you learn to weld and wield power tools and stuff like that. And then we can sell that machine. So we've done that with a brick press. Like uh, there would be a customer that would buy the brick press and we build it during a workshop. So that way we can also oh, make money. That. So there's yeah. different economic models outside of just, say, selling kits or products. Uh, there's all kinds of economic models that you can tap. And we're focusing mm. on the idea of modular design being used for swarm collaborative builds like this house that I live in, which was built in five days with 50 people. It, wow. That That's is amazing. And I, just the idea of being able to like, I, I, the, the, the looking at the way of doing the model just so differently is, is so cool. And even you're talking about the, having those workshops, I want to participate in those workshops. But... I know and you <laughs> probably don't ever want me to touch a tool, but yeah. I still, want I should to not do... have a welding flame in my hand. I should not touch that, but I want to play. I want to do my it. My mom will pin a note. Don't give him a torch on my shirt, but I still yeah. want to play with one. Let me ask you, because I want to go back to something we talked about. I have heard um, just because we have an international community that certain farmers have one of the mm -hmm. issues that they actually face mm -hmm. is not just, I know in your TED talk, you talked about some of your equipment just breaking down, but also that these tractors now are coming with proprietary <laughs> software that yeah. actually force you to pay a license to use your tractor. And if you don't pay it, you can't farm. Man, that is, is something is, you've seen. Well, isn't that insanity? That's what happens with John Deere tractors and whoever else does that. I've heard those reports in the news about John Deere, but that's just insane. And and it, it builds upon what we cherish in open source. I mean, basically in open source, the, the thing is like, if you didn't build it or if you didn't design it, you don't really own it. Or if you can't repair it, you don't really own it. Mm -hmm. And that's a fact. Like if the like the tractor that broke down for me, if I cannot repair it or it cost $1,000 just to break it apart to get at that missing, that broken part, uh, $1,000 in labor just to get to that part. That's insane. You don't own it. It owns you. And that's You're right. Uh, and now these John Deere guys are are going even more nuts trying to charge people licenses that's that yeah. definitely has a lashback from the the farming community and and in the future john deere will like so we're developing tractors we're not there yet as a product release we're looking at a product release next year but what we envision is that okay we do it we do it open start capturing market share john deere will have to follow suit they cannot survive making their very tractors proprietary at the core i love it I yeah, love that's, it. That's awesome. I can't wait for that to happen. And uh, I also want to talk about like, because the impact that it implies is also just fantastic to what, and I also, I, I just, I know there's been impact to people as well already. And let's, so I want to talk about the ways that this mission has already impacted people's lives. So tell us about yeah. how you've leveraged this technology yeah. and how you've also made it people for them to leverage it as well. Yeah. So the major transformation that I was envisioning a long time ago has not happened. 
there's uh, maybe dozen, few dozens, three, four, five dozen. Uh, we can the the cases we know of. There's about about a dozen replications of the brick press, a few builds of the tractor, a bunch of 3D printer builds, and uh, little things. But it's far from that major economic traction. But the things that have happened are, you know, some guys building a tractor for a mining operation in Peru, or some guy right now who's building a house in in uh, France using the CEB press from our design. So there is that aspect. But the thing that uh, I want to point out to that has not happened is the enterprise development part, because that part is like you have uh, you have software, you have hardware. Hardware is harder to get to a product, but to get to the enterprise level, that's yet another step. And we found that that part is the, is that which really needs addressing right now. When I first published the Brick Press in two thousand eight, I thought everybody would just rip it and start enterprise all over the world. Absolutely, has not happened. There's not a single person that I know of that right now is, for example, selling the brick press as a viable product. So we're trying to address that. And part of the discovery there was that it, then to get to the enterprise level and then at the 90% product level to the 100% product release level, that's still yet another story. So it takes a lot of effort, but we're addressing that and now focusing explicitly on the aspect of en enterprise. And that is distributive enterprise, meaning that we publish the blueprints openly not for just for the hardware, but for the whole enterprise aspect as well. So your business processes, your marketing, your your assets that you use to sell the website, all that. We're making that all available as well. And right now we're actually, so our major push in this direction is with the CD home that we started in 2016. So right now we are doing exactly that, the business development side, the product development side with a major... Uh, next step where next year we're planning a huge hackathon slash startup camp where we take that thing. We take all the assets that we have and we work explicitly on the productization aspect. So this is about a thousand square foot house that you and a friend could build in one week for $50,000. That's beautiful. We are going to host first a, so there's a, there's a whole organization process. It will culminate in a, in a three day weekend hackathon and we're aiming for 2000 people. Now, how are we going to get those kinds of numbers? Because everyone who participates is, is intended to be a customer. They want that house. They want to build it. They want that package drop shipped like the Sears kit home in the 1930s. They want that and they're going to collaborate. And, and so this is basically the kind of incentive structure we're looking at. You develop the product. We, we give it enough energy that we make sure it succeeds. And the rest could be history. So actually, next year is going to be a very exciting year for us. We've been wow. building up to this. We've seen that the enterprise level is super challenging. People are not just going to replicate your work. You really have to think in terms of more like the open source franchise or the, the packaged, well-developed product kit that you can now train people to, to become independent producers of. And that's exactly what we're doing with the dis distributive enterprise concept. And the, what we call for next year, the big development event, uh, that's going to be ca called the Extreme Enterprise event. It's going to be in August of next year. So yeah, we're looking for people. So we're talking about everybody, you know, FreeCAD, including making a workbench where you can design these houses and FreeCAD and Sweet Home and Blender, like all that. It's, it's, a, it's a big, crazy package of collaboration architecture that we're synthesizing and uh, to make it happen.
Yeah, I mean, well, I think you're going to get a lot of people interested in this because I got chills while you were talking myself. So right. hopefully when we get this out to the yeah. listeners here around the world, people will definitely I mean, and we're going to get into that and find and let everyone know ways that they can get in touch. I do want to take you back yeah. one thing because there's personally uh, I grew up starting a business with my dad. where We built computers, we sold computers and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people. And we wanted to stay mm. away from the proprietary. The mm. forced obsolescence is something you specifically yeah. mentioned in your TED talk. And I yeah. just want to get your take on something for a minute, because mm. this has already happened in, in the machine world for farming and things. But even as simple as your desktop, when you think yeah. about Apple and the fact yeah. that they are riveting boards onto the actual frames, they are soldering your RAM, they are soldering your hard drive so that you can't get into it. When we think about Lenovo and Dell, they are now doing the same thing. You go onto their website, they are soldering RAM. It actually will say they are soldering their RAM onto the main boards. This is a situation in which society as a whole has grown up taking Mm. a toaster that breaks and throwing it in the Mm. trash when our parents would take that toaster apart and figure out how it works, fix it, and put Mm. it back together. But companies are actually purposefully removing that ability from the world, uh, from even just a personal computer standpoint and the yeah. hardware, are you seeing these same trends that you that have impacted farming in the world? Are you seeing the same thing I am with these companies? Oh, completely, completely. And and thanks for that insight. I didn't know it was getting to that. I don't follow the computers as much, but absolutely the same thing. And maybe in a in a little different way, I look at it as a lot of design is not made to be easily serviceable. So, you know, the limit is, oh yeah, you solder your RAM, but the equivalent of that is you make your, you know, your the bolts, how you fit this thing together are like so hard and inaccessible that it takes you $1,000 just to get at the broken part. Right. That's insanity. I would call that actually what would classify a structural evil. I mean, this is mm-hmm. like the, the idea that you're making people dependent, that you're throwing away something deliberately that costs energy to make, um, that is not right. It's not biomimicry where you talk about cyclic closed loop economies, the circular economy, where everything in nature is recycled. So now if you make this much harder to recycle, like you're saying, just that soldered on RAM uh, that you can't replace, we cannot survive with that. This is like... It, just the waste to, it creates, ha- the yeah. waste it creates by itself. Incredible waste. It's it's just evil. It's just commercialist kind of interest where instead of, we look at it as from the point of liberating people to pursue self-determination. Okay. So if that company now makes you, forces you to pay more, that's like, that's literally like modern day slavery in a sense that now you have to shell out more money, you have to work more. So they're actively uh, working on preventing self-determination for happening for more people in the world. And that's like just not good. For and it's shutting down general. small business. There, there are several businesses that have taken to YouTube to get the message out to people that mm-hmm. companies like Apple are literally removing, removing the repair manuals and the part list and the ability mm-hmm. to get the parts to fix things mm-hmm. out of the hands. They're actively in the court systems to block uh, forcing or, or basically going out there mm. saying it's dangerous to open up these devices. Yeah. One person got hurt. Look, so it must be evil. And it, it's just, it's fascinating me because if we don't awaken and get the message out yeah. through people like you, society 
to the fact that what is happening yeah. is more than just um, you got to go spend another $500 on a computer, but that mm-hmm. there's people out there by the millions that cannot afford to go out and get that other $500 computer because the RAM went bad or the hard drive uh, needs to be replaced or the battery in it. It's just, it's, and the fact that small businesses are now put out of business because they can no longer repair the machines, you're affecting so much more yeah. than just a shiny new computer purchase. One, one last comment on that is, I mean, look at Tesla cars. They're ending up in a junkyard and they have policies that make it difficult for those to be recycled. So it's, it's yeah. you know, people glorify the Tesla cars. Oh, wow, this is super renewable. I'm guilty well, of what that. Happens, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what happens at the end of its life cycle? If you don't plan for that in your business model, that's that's just not good. The, but the good news is is there is just like we're we're heading towards an open source world and things like that. Like you've seen open source happen with a lot of different areas of human endeavor. Now houses, there's some cars, other various projects. But the limit of that is going to be fab, like microprocessors and all that. That's coming. That's going to come. Uh, on directly in our radar is making PV panels from scratch, from literally from sand. You know, you talk about wow. rocks, sunlight, plants, soil, water. That's all the wealth of the economy comes from that, right? Well, let's learn how to do that and open source it so everyone can do it. And these these issues that we are talking about right now, uh, I think will be part of good history, like probably, I'd like to see in like 50 years. I would say like 10 years to like some major, major traction of open hardware getting, getting uh, more popular. But at the end of the day, it's going to be where anyone, anywhere is going to have access to open design, uh, collaborative ways to do this. Because as I have learned myself, I am so passionate about it and and so convinced that this is going to happen because I found that it's not that hard. Like once you start stripping away those black boxes and the the mystique of technology, you see that there's, there's just a few laws of physics and there's material processing. There's those rock, sunlight, plants, soil, water that... But it brings back the exploration in humanity, too, because how many people don't know how any of this is created, what it starts from? And what what we're doing here is bringing that exploration back to humanity. I think if you can if you can get it out there, people don't realize that naturally humans want to explore and understand how things work again. And we have lost that in a society where everything's in a cloud and hidden and proprietary Mm -hmm. and in a box away from you. And so I'm I'm excited about the idea. And exploration, if you take it to the extreme, to the cosmic scale, yes, we want to explore the Earth, the oceans, and then other planets. We're still uh, at the early phases of our Star Trek replicators. But yeah, like even to go to, to outer space, like say Elon Musk has gone to Mars, right? Well, I don't think we can succeed at that. We'll just export our problems there. We have to first learn how to collaborate. Uh, and, and things like that, like going to Mars will be actually much easier. Yeah. If people, if other people are as excited as you are, as they're hearing your talk and they're saying, hey, you're speaking my language, the kind of thing that you are accomplishing, I mm-hmm. also want to be a part of. How can people get involved? How can they help? How can they support yeah. you? Yeah, absolutely. So opensourceecology.org is our website. Sign up for our newsletter. But I think the the if you want to plug into, like right now, the exciting thing for us is the CD Go Home. So for next year's campaign of getting uh, thousands of these out there. So sign up to, we have a seed home interest form, sign up for that. I can send you the link, but we're, we're also just starting to collect names of, of people. So we've yet to launch that. We're probably going to launch like January 21st pending, not 
revolution not happening in this country here. Um, but we're, we're planning to launch the Seed Home project, make that public and get people. And, and is this that. for anyone around the world to participate even Actually, virtually or is there a specific area we want to target? For, for virtual, yes. But for the actual builds, the first year is going to be US, okay. US only. So, and other than that, like if you want to sign, look at our website for the workshops we offer, we do sell 3D printers, buy our 3D printers, uh, things like that. Well, now and, you've got my attention too. Yeah, yeah I want yeah, one of those. That. And yeah. also the other thing that we just started, we've got our first uh, fellowship, a guy who's um, from South Africa, who actually, this is a very interesting story. He started um, uh, an ore refining operation in South Africa. He's a guy who consults for for mining companies. And, and he tried to do an ore processing thing for chromium where he found, oh man, we need these machines and equipment. So he's hungry for this, but uh, he signed up for a one year. It's, we call it the OSC mentorship where we weekly and week by week on a weekly basis, we go through this whole immersion training where he's going to pick up how to do all the stuff that we do. That means starting with a 3d printer, wow. uh, working on to the 3d printers, making things like the CNC torch table, which then can cut steel for like the heavier machines. But the OS, if you want to replicate, so so one of the things we found out is it's not, e as I mentioned, not easy for people just to pick up and run with this stuff, right? And that's why we started to offer the immersion of the OSE mentorship program, where it's going to take you a year or two to pick up all these skills. But if you're serious about picking these skills up and discovering that you've got unlimited power of creativity like like i feel i mean i feel definitely feel that about myself and it's just an amazing feeling that it definitely frees me up from like the political situation and things like that knowing that the solution to everything is is productivity and human creativity well yeah. so if you want to you want to learn that sign up for the mentorship we are offering that right now that's like the deep dive otherwise you can sign up for our workshops get our 3d printers and sign up for it for the the seed eco home that's that is going to be the first time where we're saying we're going to collect enough people to make this happen. And we understand that it's going to take a, a bit of money to do that, to get any product to completion. It's You're talking on a million dollar budget scale, but that's simply part of the game. We have to get to that and make that a replicable process. And that's what we're doing. With this and can people course. donate if maybe they're not in the U.S., but they oh, want absolutely. to donate towards that project? Okay. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we've got donate buttons on our website. If you'd like to do that if, for financial contributions, we do have a development team of, of people that work on projects for 10 hours, volunteering 10 hours a week. So there's different options. You can go, there's a page I can send you for getting involved page on our wiki uh, and also on the website shows all of that. So well, I'm going off the cuff here a little bit because uh, we've been talking about, we did some fantastic work with an organization called Free Geek, and uh, maybe mm. Michael and I can talk along with the rest of the mm. Destination Linux crew and we could figure out some ways. I think you're going to oh, be, yeah. there, there's, we've got something. We need to get you more yeah. all over DLN. We need to have you a part of Amazing. the family. Absolutely. So we're going yeah, yeah. to do some talking marching after yeah, yeah. this. Because I love everything you have to say. I'm yeah, very passionate about the work that you are doing here. I can't thank you enough for what you're doing to try to help on such a large scale beyond anything we ever imagined doing in the open source community and just taking it to, like I said, a, a whole different level. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you for coming on the show. And we will be hearing from you again <laughs> in the Destination Absolutely. Linux Network. Yeah. Well, let's make it happen. Let's do it together. It's all about collaboration. So I love it. Yeah. Thank you.
Our security advisory this week was brought to you by Bitwarden. It is to stop using search engines that you don't respect your privacy, such as Google, for example. There are many great privacy-respecting search engines, but our favorite, absolutely easily our favorite, is DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo will help you keep your searches private. DuckDuckGo is a fantastic way to to keep your stuff private online. And if you want another way to stay secure, you can get a great password manager, for example, Bitwarden. And Bitwarden is a password manager that we we trust. It is an open source password manager that allows you to do all kinds of great stuff. They have the convenience of, of having a password manager, but also have the security, which is fantastic. So, for example, if you are running it on your phone, you're running on your desktop, browser plugin, or even the command line, you can use Bitwarden, all of those things, and have password manager uh, vault, have password generation, have auto-filling of the passwords, and everything else. It is just fantastic. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But if you're like me, you want to show your appreciation for such a great product by getting their premium account. And their premium account is only $10 per year. That's it. One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP authentication, storage and generation, priority customer support. All of that is yours for $10 per year. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your Bitwarden account. And we want to thank Bitwarden again for sponsoring the Destination Linux podcast. So one of the companies we love because all they've done for Linux and gaming is Valve. And Valve has some of their own IPs out there, one of which many people love. Michael and I have played this on stream before. And Mm -hmm. in fact, when I was putting this in for this week's uh, topics to cover, I was like, Noah would love this game. Noah, it has guns. Can I shoot people? Yes. Yes. Okay, sweet up, man. Let's play. It has (laughs) zombies. There's there's all kinds of different weapons you can pick up. It's called Left for Dead. It's been out for a long time, but they are still like money of Valve's IPs, uh, doing add-ons and upgrading it. And believe me, when you run it, you still feel like it's a game that just released, you know, a few months ago. It's a beautiful game, tons oh, yeah. of fun to play. Um, so they have a new add-on out, which is the reason we're covering it, called the Sacrifice. And this is basically a community-created add-on that Valve loved so much that they incorporated it as an official add-on in the game. And the idea is it in in this, in the sacrifice, is that it's a whole new campaign with verses and survival modes inside. And we haven't got to play it, although I kept begging Michael, like, can we do it now? And he was like, sure. And then I'm like, oh, I can't uh, because things kept coming up. But we're going to play it. We're going to play it on stream. And maybe we'll, maybe we even talk Noah into playing it as well. Oh, that'd uh, be awesome. I'm down. Yeah. So Left for Dead has new DLC out there. Go check that out. And of course, because it's Valve, it runs natively on Linux. We're continuing our exploration of the Linux file systems in our tips, tricks, and software picks section. So far, we have covered slash temp, bin, boot, dev, Etsy, lib, media, opt, proc, and root. If you want to learn more about any of those file systems, or excuse me, if you want to learn more about any of those directory structures, go back and listen to past weeks. This week, we're covering slash run. Now, slash run is actually newer. It was actually brought, Ryan, ready for this, by the Arch developers as a way to respond to some of the new new udev runtime data that had moved from slash dev slash dot udev 
to slash run UDEF, slash run slash UDEF. Uh, the slash run is supposed to be a temp FS system that's actually mounted early in boot. So if you have this, you can actually run DFTAC8. You'll see it's not even really a directory. It's actually its own little temp FS file system that's there. So what is slash run and what can you do with it? Well, you shouldn't really touch it. Uh, you should really leave it alone. The idea is that, uh, again, it's a mount point for temp FS uh, for things that need to be uh, up and running for very early uh, early parts of the boot sequence. So you can certainly go and, and, and look and run. Every once in a while, you'll have a distro that will mount media. And this actually came up when we talked about where it mounts removable media in slash run slash media slash username slash name of the drive. So there is there is reasons to read it. There are reasons to open that part of the file system. We certainly wouldn't recommend that you uh, modify anything that's there. Instructions unclear. My system won't boot. What do I do now? Uh RM tech RF slash tech techno preserve root and reinstall Kubuntu. Okay, thanks. <laughs> no problem. Our software spotlight this week comes from the community. And while we've talked about this before, the hardware it's applied to is the key here. So, hello, the DL Triforce. I wanted to drop a quick note and share a bit about a tip and trick spotlight review. And I recently bought a Pinebook Pro after talking myself out of buying one for a while now. And I absolutely love it. It is way more functional than I expected. And I believe it can be used as a daily driver with, uh, with the little patience. Being an amateur photographer, I never thought I'd be able to use it for editing photos, but I was wrong. My first thought was Darktable, but it was, it does not work on ARM, so I went with Raw Therapy, and it has been amazing. The Pinebook handles photos without issue from my hop, for my hobbyist needs. I thought about just sitting on this, but the fact that it, a Linux-based laptops that my, that most people can afford can be used for a hobby like photography is just too good to not sh- not to share. And and add the FOSS software to the FOSS laptop, and the whole thing is uh, is FOSSing incredible. Thank you for ta- to talking about all these great gr- products and projects. Thanks, Paul. And P.S. I bought an active sitting sh- shirt, and I'm pretty sure my words per minute typing and command line accuracy increased almost immediately. Isn't Absolutely that amazing? Agree. I told. That's what. That's why I'm Aren't wearing, you wearing shirt. that shirt. Yeah, I'm wearing it wow. right now because I want to increase my production on the show because the active sitting just makes that possible so much. You better. heard it here, folks. You heard it here. You get one of those active sitting shirts. You know what's amazing about the Pinebook Pro Two is that. Well, you can take it apart. You can take all the parts apart and you can hack on inside of it all you want and add new parts in if something breaks. And in fact, the first second that I got the Pinebook Pro, I did a live stream and tore the whole thing apart to show that that's the case. So it just yes. proves when you have FOSS software, FOSS hardware, you can actually get in. Nothing soldered together. A uh, pretty awesome little device there. You also need to check out that video because it was it was so fun because he was like, "Hey, can you help me make this live stream?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll be there." Have like, "Hey, Ryan, what are you doing? I'm just taking it apart. You just got it, yeah." I'm, but <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> that's how we know what's inside. <laughs> Fair enough. It, it was it was fantastic. You can check that stream. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And also go to dlnstore.com to get your own active sitting shirt and and also check out all the other stuff at dlnstore.com. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching or listening, however you do it, and supporting Destination Linux. If you want more DL, become a patron like all these beautiful faces here with us today, and you get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of the show, Would you get to see all of our mistakes, 
as as Noah used to call it, the worst part or the worst show for the most amount of money uh, you can get there. But actually, you get tons of extra content there if you decide to become a patron. You check out the Destination Linux Network store. You can get a bunch of swag and check up check out all the cool stuff we have with T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and so much more. Go to dlnstore.com. It's time for you to join the DLN community. Don't miss your chance to join the DLN shindig. We have the DLN discourse forum where you can be a part of the fam. If you want more interactive chat, get flawed to our Telegram group. Finally, if you want some game sessions, improve goat greatest of all time, you need the DLN discord server and all those other words that come along in this thing that don't make any sense. The point is you got to go to the DLN community and get connected and that will lead to a better life experience. I want to change it, but I can't because making them read it every week is so funny. <laughs> it's so good. So also check out the, the in, in addition to all the great shindigs you can go to, you can also get the new shindig of the new website for Destination Linux Network. And you can check that out by going to destinationlinux.network where you'll find all sorts of open source goodness from podcasts to YouTube channels to even Odyssey channels now. So go check that out, destinationlinux.network. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See, see you next week. There it is. Now, now we know the show's over. <laughs> right. Bye-bye. Love it. All right, patrons, turn on your cameras. Turn on your mics. Let's talk. Let's talk Get about flawed. it. Get flawed. <laughs> Every time he puts a new spin on it, and it makes me happy. Every time. <laughs> you don't want stale content. Now, do exactly. You? No, I love it. I love it. <laughs>